this wasn't a lesson I necessarily wanted to do. Um, the title of the, the question was, Finding Balance in Enjoying Work and Blessings Without Falling into Materialism. <clears throat> What? The question was finding balance in enjoying work and blessings without falling, finding balance in enjoying work and blessings without falling into materialism. <clears throat> I told Reagan this was pretty much all over the left, and I just wasn't feeling it. And uh, and I think uh, Tommy Ibram had singing last when, the last time we had singing. There was something he said that um, kind of put me in the mood for it. So that's what we're doing tonight. And this question <clears throat> could be asked in in many different ways, but whoever it was that asked it or proposed it, he used the word balance. And so I'm fixing to tip the scales on balance. I don't know whether we could balance the Lord and our uh, earthly responsibilities, but I'm going to answer the question and tip the scales right now. Okay, Eric. Turn to 2.30. Turn this off. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I treasure my And I can't feel at home. 
another event episode where the scales would have been tipped all the way the all the way back what? huh the flood the flood that wasn't what I was thinking of <laughs> but uh it tipped pretty far then. yeah it tipped pretty far but I was thinking of an individual who tipped it and with uh his with his belongings, with his actions, prodigal son, would he have tipped the scales the other way? He took everything and he, he basically, him and Satan went to work. And uh, so we have to get those scales balanced back and I'm not sure uh, that's the Lord, way the Lord would have it, but um, Can you find anybody, where's uh, an example of, we do have to work, we do have to work. And uh, I think that's the question here. How do we go about our business and please the Lord? What can you think of uh, an example of, of working? Okay, uh, all the apostles. Pretty much. I mean, they fished, they built tents. Wade, did you have something? That was fine. Okay. So as as apostles and Paul, he was apostle, obviously, but as they went about their business, they had to provide for themselves for various reasons. And uh, what else uh, can you think of? Give us an example of... uh, People work in where where we would be okay working. Second um, Thessalonians three, what does that say? If anyone doesn't work, they don't eat. So we have to work. We have to provide. Uh, scriptures talk about us providing for our family as as men. That's our responsibility. Um, Mark, Matthew 25 uh, is kind of an example there of parable of the talents. What about the man that just kind of rested? The only work he did was to bury the talents. Do what? The only work he did yeah. was to bury the yeah. talents. And he, I guess he, I don't know whether he, he didn't consider that work. He was just <clears throat> not going to do anything with it. So, uh, and the other two were, were rewarded because they did make an effort to uh, make more. Any other thoughts? Turn to Ecclesiastes 2. This Old Testament, obviously. If I can get there. Ecclesiastes two, twenty-four and twenty-five. 
says, Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment more than I? Um, I've always pretty much enjoyed whatever I did. I found some way to enjoy it. The weather, the weather, and some people might make it not so enjoyable. But <laughs> but I always enjoyed uh, working. I didn't have a problem working. But I also enjoyed the fam- my family. I enjoyed uh, entertainment, playing of that sort. And so we had to make we had to make that fit in. Rich people in the Bible. How many? What kind of? What people do we remember in the Bible that that had money? Job. Who? Job. Job. What happened to it? Lost it he lost it all. He but he got it back. Why? Right. But he balanced the scales, right? <laughs> so, uh, but Job. Who else? Rich young. Rich. The rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. I, ha- I have him down here. Uh, what was his problem? He liked the other side of the scale too much. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't. Uh, and the Lord told him he had done everything. He had done everything. But the Lord told him, "Give your riches to the poor and come follow me." He said, "I can't handle that part." And. Uh, so we have to share what we have. Anybody have any thought, uh, thoughts on, on the intentions of the Lord when he told him to uh, give, his, give up his rich, give his riches to the poor? He knew that was his problem. Yeah, was, that was his weakness. So, uh, it wasn't the money. It was, it was the not loving God first. Yeah, and, uh, and the Lord identified that. And I think we're... we're if we're we're all guilty of having our individual weaknesses, but we need to identify we need to identify our weakness and deal with it. And we all uh, all our weaknesses are a little different. I think of Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot both were very well off. They had countless animals and camels and. Uh, Children and women. What was the problem? Who 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 had the problem? Lot. Lot. What did what did Abraham do? He said, "Lot, you make the decision." And Lot went where he shouldn't have gone, and uh, so <clears throat> he had uh, he had the means to do better, and and he didn't do it. Um, Philemon, uh, Reagan brought him to my attention. He was, uh, he was a particular individual in the, in the New Testament. Uh, well to do. Him and Paul were, he and Paul were very close. Um, but it seems that Philemon was patient. He was forgiving. He was a slave owner, so we know that he was well to do, and uh, he had all the qualities that uh, that a Christian should have. And and he and Paul were were good friends. 
Anybody else you can think of? Solomon and all the riches that were known said it was vanity. Do what? Solomon had all the riches that were known, and he still said it was vanity. Yeah, that's true. And uh, if, uh, and I think this is what this question is asking is, uh, is how do we keep from getting wrapped up with those things of this world? Um, we can we can work too much. We can get too involved in our job, but we can get so involved that that that's our life, and, and of course we leave the Lord behind. Um, turn to Matthew sixteen twenty four. Matthew sixteen twenty four. Then Jesus said to his disciples. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit, it, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father." So I think uh, the key word here is we have to deny ourselves. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And we are asked to do that in many of our responsibilities here on earth as Christians. Um, Proverbs uh, 9, 10 through 12. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you will bear it alone. <clears throat> and if we, we, I think we get involved with our uh, worldly responsibilities, we don't in, we don't intentionally scoff at the Lord, but that's what it is. Turn to chapter 14, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but it but it's the end is the way of death. We probably all are familiar with that. Turn to Colossians 3.
And this is, uh, this is pretty much speaking about carnal, carnal thinking, carnal doing versus Christ. Um, says, uh, starting verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, <clears throat> and our study is not necessarily sin, which here uh, he, he mentions sin, different kinds of sin. He says, verse 6, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. But he's pretty much studying here that the world can get us, whether it's our job or the people we're working with, living with, uh, but we have to be mindful of our worldly desires. Turn back to Isaiah. Isaiah 3. Let's begin in 13. Uh, so the Lord stands up to plead and stands to judge the people. The Lord will enter into the judgment with the elders of his people and his, and his princes. For you have eaten up the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, says the Lord God of hosts. Moreover, the Lord says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet. Therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will uncover the secrets, the secret parts. And that day the Lord will take away the finery, the jingling anklets, the scars, the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, and the veils, the headdresses, the leg ornaments, and the headbands the perfume boxes, the charms, and the rings, the nose jewels, the festal apparel, and the mantles, the outer garments, the purses, and the mirrors, the fine linen, the turbans, and the robes. And so it shall be, instead of a sweet smell, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of a well-set hair, baldness. Instead of a rich robe, a girding sackcloth, a branding instead of beauty, your men shall fall by the sword, and your mighty in the war. Your our gates shall lament, and mourn, and she being desolate shall sit on the ground. <clears throat> so this is a result of, of being rich and, and acting like you're rich and uh, adorning your body and, and tipping the scales the wrong way. Any thoughts to this point? Anybody, come on. But what you just read, that passage, is, we know that all of those things are superficial. They're going to pass away. They're temporal in nature. And that's why I think it's so, it's, it's very, can be very easy to get out of balance if you're not looking to the Lord. If you're not putting God first in your life and keeping that balance. Gravitate toward the <coughs> materialism, the things that you know please us on this earth, and we know that that's all going to pass away. What 
more important and most important. And uh, this is my thoughts. When we're young and we're not married, we have an opportunity to train ourselves, develop good habits, and prepare for when we grow older, we're in, a, in jobs, we're having to support our family, our, and, and doing all those kind of things, and, but we still have to, the Lord has to take majority of our effort and our time uh, because, as Barrett said, this, this is going to pass. really rich for their time and I mean it's not like we have all the same things but I mean you think about all the things that we have today we had at least that much right and these were the richest people uh, of their time and they were oppressing the poor stealing from the poor basically says plundering the poor in order to get all of this but uh Think about rich, and this is what he's describing. We need to remember that that describes everybody in this room. Following up, uh, go ahead, Jesse. I was just going to say, um, how many of us consider ourselves as being rich? I don't really consider myself being rich. Not really. But when you, when you think about people in other countries, um, even people, other people in this country, but uh, if you start really analyzing your situation materially, worldly, we're still in pretty good shape. But of course, spiritually, we are rich. Go ahead, Jesse. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17 talks to uh, telling the preacher to instruct those who are rich to do two different things. And neither of those things was to get rid of their riches. Uh, first thing was instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. Not to be what? Not to be conceited. Or another version says not to be haughty. So it didn't say instruct them to get rid of their their wealth. And and then it goes on to say, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. So so two instructions. Don't don't be haughty in what you have and don't trust in it. And I think that's why the rich young ruler left because he trusted in his, in his riches. Uh, of course, it goes on to say to instruct them to be, uh, to do good. Um, they have a lot of opportunity to do a lot of good um, and to be rich in good works. So, so it didn't condemn. Yeah, I don't ever see where it's, it's been condemned to uh, prosper. Um, Scriptures even tell us to, to work so that we can help 
can be rich and help other people use it in the right way. And I think what Jesse said, trust is the key word to all of it. I, you know, uh, there's been situations in my life when I've lost a job and, and I've trusted in God. I didn't worry about the finances. I trusted in God and it all turned out great. And that's what God keeps telling us. Is if you trust in this other thing, it's not, in the end even, if you stay rich to the end, it's not going to mean anything. If you trust in me, I will provide everything you need. And a lot of times I think we, we just don't trust in God enough. <coughs> in what situation we pray and, and we let him take over. And we do our best to do, it, to do what we can, but we need to learn to trust in him and let him lead the way for us. Put him first. You've never worried about anything? Oh, I've been worried, but, I, <laughs> but I've trusted in him. I, no, I, I think you're and right. It got me through a lot of situations that I've been in. It's just, you know, whatever happens, happens. And so I do what I can, and I trust in him for the rest of it. Dumb. Whenever, and now this is just talking, whenever a person, just money itself or just, it's usually, I would say, not the problem. It's usually he falls in love with uh, somebody he shouldn't or he falls in love with something he shouldn't or he gets involved with machines or animals or something and, uh, and they just take all his time. I'm thinking if... Say a man, he's got a good job, his daughter is attractive, his wife's attractive, his son's a good athlete, and then he's become, he's gonna become that arrogant, that arrogant person that can be distracted if he doesn't keep his family, uh, focused and then going in the right direction. Wait. You have to talk about that and get out behind his head. <laughs> you know, I kind of have two thoughts. The first one, you know, back when we were talking about if we consider ourselves rich, <coughs> at least financially, you know, I read a statistic somewhere, and I don't quote me on it, but I think it was you make more than thirty-five to forty thousand dollars a year. You're in the top one percent of income in the world. Uh, you know, you're top one percent in the United States. Talking about globally, that's that's the statistic. So I mean, we're incredibly blessed in America, uh, U.S. especially. Point uh, history. Uh, my second thought was you know, back when we were talking about you know, rich people in the Bible and how they dealt with it. I think the best worst example can be found in uh, Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, you know, King Herod, wealthy, powerful individual in Israel. And when he learns uh, about this potential new king being born, which ended up being the Messiah, instead of using his wealth and power for good, he, you know, slaughtered thousands, if not tens of thousands of children just trying to, you know, kill the threat to his power and wealth. Read right next to it, and he just he died. And that's, that was his legacy in the Bible. So just think of what good could he have done if he 
um, was it peer pressure, you think? I think he perceived it as a threat to his power. So I guess, I mean, no one in here is royalty and has that type of power to influence, but maybe if it's, if he sees something as a threat to our time or influence, or time or money, or he'd rather you know, use that time or money for something else instead of what Going back to the peer pressure, thank you, Wade. The, the peer pressure is a lot of times we, we don't realize what we have because we're looking somewhere else. And uh, so if we're looking at our neighbor all the time and what he has or our brother or sister or somebody else, and, uh, but we have to tend to our own business and uh, tend to God's business. Let's turn to uh, Deuteronomy 6. Um, probably, most of you probably know this. Uh, it's one we read or hear a lot, um, but it is uh, <coughs> Deuteronomy, 6, Deuteron Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. That uh, that might be to me one of the most one of the better scriptures in the Old Testament when it tells us how to do. I know when I coach basketball, I tell kids. You need to have that basketball with you all the time. You need to sleep with that basketball. You need to play with that basketball in the dark. Why? It just comes familiar. Well, I think I commented after one of Reagan's sermons, and I commented uh, your Bible. You, you ought to be able to use your Bible like you do at night in, in, uh, in bed. We might be getting off track here, but... Uh, when you wake up at night and you reach over there on your nightstand, your phone, your drink, your Bible, a pen, whatever it is, you know right where it is. And what this is, what this is saying, Deuteronomy, is your, you, your, your Bible needs to be the same way. You need to be able to handle it the same way. Brent, put it on us. I'm agreeing with you. I think it, you know... There's so many things come to mind. I started backing up. I was thinking when you said rich people of the Bible, my first thought was the woman of Proverbs, how she took her income and went out and bought a field or planted a vineyard, stole land, took that income, and went out and bought a vineyard. So she's she's in she's working number one. And it, it prefaces that before you get to that verse. Yeah, that's good. She's working. 
and she rises early, and she works hard, and she takes income, and she invests it into something else, and then she makes money from that, or makes provisions, let me say it that way, because not only is she providing food, which is that's how the passage leads out, she's providing food for her family, but she's also providing, she's investing in from a monetary sense as well, so that, I don't know, that has always stood out to me as far as, do we work? Yeah, we work. Know, we work and we use that, we use those tools with which we're able. You know, we use those to do good. In the New Testament, you know, you see rich people, you know, Ananias and Sapphira. You see or you see it, uh, people selling land, bringing it to the apostles, and giving it to the poor, dispersing it. You know, and you know, when's the, you know, <laughs> I get myself. You know, when's the last time I bought a piece of land to sell it? So I could give the money to somebody who didn't have it, you know, to help Christians somewhere else. You know what I mean? I just. I think there, and actually, there had to be some people that were prominent, not by name. We don't know their names. Well, I think we know some of them. I mean, Joseph, you know, he had his own burial plot, bought and paid for it, and he gave it away. You know what I mean? So there's some indications, I guess. Maybe I'm yeah. too much in it. But, but they did good with it. Yeah. I mean, we had, I don't know, there's, there's, a, there's a number of them. The Roman centurion, you know, I think he was probably in the day and time, he was more than likely a wealthy individual. You know, so he, Cornelius. Barnabas is one of those names that we know. Dorcas? Barnabas is one of those we know so land. reading in Deuteronomy 6 and he's like once you get into this land and you start living in houses that you didn't fill up with stuff and have these vineyards that you didn't plant and cisterns you didn't build and uh, cities you didn't build and God bless you more blessings you can imagine be careful lest you forget that the Lord gave you these things I, I could fall into that the times are lean and tough I'm crying out to God I help you I don't know how to make hands meet but then when things are um, enjoying bountiful blessings, it's easy to forget that. And, and God gave this to me. And I, <coughs> I think Richard Mueller, this might be reading between the lines or just me reading it, but I think he was kind of surprised by what Jesus said. And he might have had a blind spot to that weakness of his. And we can too. I mean, we can think, well, what else can I do to inherit eternal life? I don't do this, I don't do that, I'm doing pretty good. But we might love our money and not realize it, but the situation came up and I was required to cash in my 401k and sell my land and my house and give away to the poor. I, I might hesitate. I don't really want to lose that stuff. That's, maybe that's really what I'm putting my trust in. I, it can be there and we may not realize it until it's you know, time to really test our faith. What do we value the most? What do we value the most? My soul. I'm talking about here. Kind of status. Huh? Status. I, I think that, you know, a lot of rich people and 
they're probably not rich at all. They're probably in debt up to their eyeballs. Yeah. But they have all this stuff that makes them appear rich. And then when it comes sharing time, they say, I can't share. I'm in debt. What's, what is the most value? What do, we, what do we value the most? Time. Time. You just said it. Time. We, I mean, we got, we can, we give money. We may not give money, but giving our time is is the hardest, I think. Okay, balancing this out, uh, it's reasonable to work. It's reasonable to prosper. It's, uh, but we have to do the work of the Lord. And I don't know whether it's a balancing deal or whether the Lord's here and the work's here. Uh, but uh, He tells us to seek Him first. Yeah. Uh, but so we're tip, we have to tip the scales, but uh, we, have to, we have to figure out how to make it work. It's all according to the Lord as long as He's first. I think that's good. The scales are going to tip one way or the other. I don't think they're ever going to be. No, I don't think. Not in be right. It's not. It's just like someone, just my thoughts, if someone calls you, knew you was looking for a job and offered you a great job in this place, you don't even know where the place is, and man, that money's good. Yes, I want that job, and I'm moving. I get there, there's not even a church there. It's never even crossed my mind to look for a church. Well, am I balanced? Hmm. No. Nope. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Like it's a goal thing. If, if you've got your goal out there and you know you need to get to it, well, is, is, a, is a fifth vehicle going to get me to that goal? So if, I just recently sat through a, a, a school board meeting, and they had the goals on the board, and it was, if, these are our goals, and if every step you take, if they don't reach that goal or they're not going towards that goal, well, you're, 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 you're not going to reach it. You're not going to do it. So if our goal is always what God wants us to do, Whatever I do, it's a big fat house or seven cars or whatever it is, is that going to get me to that goal? Period. That's it. If it doesn't, thank you, right, uh, Jesse. Were you going to say something else? Uh, well, I, well, you brought up the if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. I was wondering why Paul had said that, and. Uh, Going back a few verses, he, uh, he said he didn't want to be a, a burden to anybody. Uh, let's see. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, he says, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. Um, I think maybe that's a principle we can take is uh, to work in order to not hurt your brethren, maybe. <clears throat> yeah, no, I think you're right. I think sometimes there they they were being careful that people wouldn't accuse them of doing this for apostles. I think it's also an indication that that not expected to help someone who's not going to work either. You know, That's we, tough. <laughs> I mean, we, we, that one's tough. 
as Christians, we're kind of expected, or there's a stereotype that we're supposed to help someone in, in need. Well, yes, that's true, we are. But if they have no desire, you know, Paul didn't want to be charged that they wasn't going to work. He was going to be able to work. You know what I mean? So evidently there's some background there that he wanted to be clear on. Talking about some outliers from the lesson, you know, that we are sending. You know, we want some clarification on, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm happy to say that we didn't just take something for free. We, we worked for it. And so I think there's some principle in that as we give to others, <coughs> and we provide for others, that there's, there's, there's a, an expectation for some work involvement in there somewhere. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard um, uh, when you have people that have problems that, and they, they don't work, can't work, whatever, and it, that's, it's, it's hard to decide what to do with those people, whether to help them or not. Anything else? Uh, Mike's going to say something. Anything for Well, I, I think I maybe will say this. This is something that's been rattling around in my brain a lot lately is we, we shouldn't put off good works and giving for a later time when we're more wealthy than we are now. Uh, we shouldn't put off good works and giving for a later time when we're more wealthy than we are now. And uh, you know, I've read a couple of Dave Ramsey's books and listened to some of his stuff and a lot, a lot of really good stuff in there. Uh, and I don't want to misrepresent him, but I think sometimes the mentality is, boy, you save up and you save and you scrimp and you save and you make all the investments you're supposed to make and you know, max out all your retirement and then when you're, you know, 65 or 70, then you can really give like nobody else or whatever it is he says. Give, what is it? Remember? Live like no one else or you give like no one else. Yeah, live like no one else so you can give like no one else, right? And so, you know, that day's coming when I'm really going to give. Um, well, what if that day never comes? And what are you doing to your heart and your attitude in the meantime if you're, if you're, Planning and preparation and work is all for, well, I'm really going to give someday. Uh, I, think, I think we need to be willing to put giving higher on the priority list. And I don't just mean give to church, to the contribution, to the treasury. I mean the giving of others and helping others directly in charity. Um, that if, it, if I have to make a choice between contributing to my retirement or there's a need where I need to give, I need to give given to my retirement. Does that make sense? Um, and I think, you know, we've kind of got the cream of the crop in here, people who are coming to a men's Bible study on Monday night, and probably everybody in here is a really good steward of what they have, uh, and so we're not wasteful with what we have. Um, but I think we have to be careful because we are so such good stewards to make sure that we're not preparing for a future that may or may not come and missing opportunities now when we could be giving uh, of what we have. Monty called me a few minutes ago and asked me to 
They sucked and swept. Along that line, what you're talking about, uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, Micah and Sean just moved from Kentucky to uh, College Station. And we were talking about expenses of getting things set up <clears throat> along about what you're talking about. And she was, she didn't give us amounts of how much they were getting, but doing an accounting of what expenses were going to be this and this and this and this and so on. And I'm thinking about what she's saying and comparing that with myself. And I remember the first job I had at Lufkin Industries where I got a paycheck from a company at $1.87 an hour. And my first paycheck I got at that time, they pay you once a month, okay? And you get $321. Now talk to me about charity. Okay? <laughs> what? And now I, I still remember, of course, Mother and Daddy talking to me about contributions. You know, I, ha I had to, right, prepare for that. Willingly? <laughs> You know, a little confession. No, not not really. It just is because I had instilled in my mind that was my duty, my obligation, my responsibility. Okay. Right, now this gets a little bit into what you you said. This is going to be more about materialism <clears throat> and how not to fall into that and self-confession. Yeah, I fell into it to some degree, and my degree got interrupted along the way, and the reason being is back to my teaching, training, mother and daddy. And, I, and I've looked back now on why I think like I think about different things, and it's because of that establishment in that period of time in my growth up. And I know that most of us are too old, but there's a few of us that are not. But establishing what God says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding, right? And then you read, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Okay, and thinking about what does that really mean? And I was talking to a lady this morning, I called her studying this subject and we got to talking about the fear of the Lord what is that fear of the Lord what's it mean what what carries that thought process when you fear what does that mean respect huh respect, respect to the point of what obedience obedience right and then at some point in time, and here again, let me reference my dad, a very authoritative person. He said something to me one time. He told me to do something. I didn't do it just like he told me. And man, like he said, boy, I, he said, why don't you do that? I said, because I thought. Well, what my thinking was totally different from his thinking. You with me? 
with that young, immature mind. Totally different. Here is 60-some-odd-year-old man talking to a, at that time, I don't remember how old it was, 18, 17. But my thinking process was totally different than his because what did I have to draw from in that thinking? Very few years of experience. What did he have to draw from? 60-some-odd years. He told me to do it a certain way. But I thought, and after he laid one on me, he said, boy, I'm not raising you to think. I'm raising you to do what I said. And I thought, for years, that's not right. Yes, it was right. He was right. The same way God is right today. When he tells you something, you don't question it. You know, that's it. You established my point there is the principles of godliness, which involves uh, everything that you've heard for years about behavior, how you think about things, what you do about things. All these things form your heart, what's in your heart. And when you develop that at that young age, doing what you're told to do. You with me? You understand what I'm saying? Do what you're told to do. And just like Joshua said, choose this day. You got a choice to make. You make that choice today. Are you going to do it or not? I've got a lot of stories I can tell about my dad and I. <laughs> Another choice that I had to make was on the steps of it, SFA. Daddy, he, he left school when he was three years old to work in the farm, so he wasn't educated in that sense. He didn't understand. Here I am, a 16-year-old kid, choosing what your rest of your life is going to be, so I'm going to be a dentist. So I entered into those dental program over at SFA, pre-dentistry, and they hit me with some subjects that I've never even heard of before. Couldn't even spell them. First six weeks test, I didn't do too good. And then they send a letter to your parents, and or your parents and you. They get it and open it. And I had I made a failing grade in that first six weeks, which wasn't no big deal. I got the rest of the semester to make it up, right? Daddy didn't understand that. He read that letter. I'm telling you a long story to make a point. And that morning, I got up, mother had breakfast cooked, and their daddy normally dressed, you know, work in the field. He had on his slacks, good-looking shirt, and I thought, what's he going to do? Now, I didn't say anything, went through eating. He said, uh, you riding with some old boys at school? And I said, yes, sir. Who are they? I named them. He said, call them, tell them you ain't going. I didn't say why. You don't say why. Do what you're told. So I called him. I said, I'm not riding this morning. Well, then, why? Blah, blah, I don't know. I'm just not riding this morning. So I finished eating breakfast. I said, what am I going to do? He said, you're going to school. I said, okay. He said, let's go. We got the car. Not a word said all the way over at SFA. Get over there. And he said, uh, I asked him, I said, what, what do you want to do? He said, I'm going to go talk to the boss. 
who's the boss? <laughs> you know, the president? No. So I thought well, the only one I know of would be the dean. You know, because I don't think at that time there wasn't but about a thousand students over there. So I went to the dean, which happened to be the, the teacher of the course that I was taking. Back then, you know, the deans, they did a lot of things. They drove the bus and they taught the courses <laughs> and things of that nature. So uh, I go in there to his office and she said, well, he's already in class. Eddie said, he told her he said, well, go get him. Well, he's in class. Go get him. Just like that. She looked at him got, and went and got him. <laughs> Come back and he said, can I help you? And he said, I want to talk to you about this boy. What about him? You know, he introduced him. You know, we shook hands. And he said, what do you want to talk about? So he pulls that letter out. Said, that's your name in it. And he said, yes, sir. He said, what's the deal here? He said, well, Mr. Penn, he said, so and so and so and so. And he explained to him about the first six weeks, no big deal. You know, I, I think I made a 67 or something like that. And he said, he can make it up so and so and this, that, and the other. And after it's all over, he said, you'll be all right, so and so and this, that, and the other. And anyway, after this talking, we left. Daddy told me, come on. So I'm following him, going back down the steps, got in front of the car. He turned around, here's my point. He said, you decide what you're going to do today. You get in that car, and we're going to go back and hit that hayfield, or you can get your books and go in there and get you some learning. Now, which one are you going to do? And I turned to walk, and he grabbed the whole top, and he said, I asked you a question. Which one are you going to do? Which one are you going to do? See what I'm talking about? What are you going to do? You're going to learn fear of God. You're going to learn His commandments. And when you learn them, you learn the principles that go with those commandments. It's the principle. It's the principle of things. The Old Testament with commandments, thou shalt not. To me, the New Testament is, or you've already got that down. You've already decided what you're going to do, right? Okay, here's the way you carry it out with a little heart. So this day, you decide what you're going to do, what you're going to be. Whether you're going to worship things or you're going to worship God. That's the way I'd address materialism.
Thank you. 